You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health podcast. I have uh, Monique Van Hook and Barney Bishop. We're going to be talking about uh, an unusual thing called dragon's blood, literally, probably from a Komodo dragon is my guess, and how it's uh, actually being used to uh, intervene and help some diseases. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to talk about this. So uh, Monique and Barney, thanks for coming. How are you doing? We're doing great. Doing Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah. How, how would you even... Uh, get access to Komodo dragons in the first place. It seems like a rare thing to, uh, I would love to meet one, but it sounds like a really rare thing to encounter. Yeah, well, they do call me the mother of dragons, but I don't actually have any Komodo dragons uh, in my lab right now. Uh, We have a great Mm -hmm. collaborator down at the St. Augustine Alligator Farm in uh, St. Augustine, Florida, and they were kind enough to work with us and provide us uh, some blood that was uh, drawn from the tail vein of the Komodo dragon that they have down there. How would you even uh, get this idea and think to look at Komodo dragons? I mean, where, where, did, where do Komodo dragons naturally live, first of all? And then how did this whole uh, meetup happen with the dragon? Well, they, in nature, they live on islands in Indonesia. Komodo islands. Hmm, okay. Makes sense. Yeah, so basically that's where they live naturally. We, of course, as Monique said, we got our blood from a Komodo dragon down at St. Augustine Alligator Farm. Um, our collaborator down there is um, Dr. Kent Vleet uh, at the University of Florida. So we've been working for a number of years. Uh, Barney and I have been collaborating since 2009, and I'm a bacteriologist, and I focus especially on gram-negative and hard-to-treat and dangerous bacteria, and Barney is mm. a peptidochemist. And so we nice. have been working together to try and come up with uh, some new ways to kill bacteria. And so we've been looking at antimicrobial peptides, um, like from humans and from other animals, for quite some time. And um, then we thought we needed to uh, maybe find a new source of interesting antimicrobial peptides. Right. So we looked to um, reptiles provided a particularly interesting subject matter uh, for these kinds of studies. Uh, They're reputed to have uh, robust immune systems, and they rely more on uh, innate immunity, their frontline of defense against infection, than we and other mammals do. And that's where the kind of peptides we're interested in studying are, is that part of innate immunity, that first defense against infection. And reptiles, I mean, we've mostly looked at um, crocodilians, the American alligator being one of them, 
and of course Komodo dragon, as you mentioned. Um, and they have long reputations for having having robust immune systems. The alligator can survive loss of limb, a loss of chunks of tail, with a minimal incidence of infection, um, and recover without veterinary intervention in the wild. And the Komodo dragons are um, purported to have um, a um, they found a diversity of bacteria in their saliva, um, many of which were predicted to be potentially um, pathogenic. Uh, they are not opposed to eating um, decaying corpses and rotting bodies, so um, it makes sense that they have rather nasty saliva. Yet the dragons themselves are unaffected by the presence of these bacteria, um, either through the fact that they've in, the, in their mouths they have bleeding gums or through bite wounds inflicted by other dragons. So how would this translate to uh, accomplishing you know, bacterial, bactericide or, you know, helping humans? What's the correlation there? Sure. So antimicrobial peptides are really small proteins called peptides. And in in our bodies and in the bodies of many animals, they're made by our skin cells and cells of the immune system. And one of the things that these peptides can do is they can form pores in the uh, membrane of a bacterium. And if they do that, the bacteria basically blows up. It can't regulate its osmolarity anymore. So that's a way to kill bacteria that our bodies uh, have developed, as Barney said, uh, through called innate immunity. It's part of uh, what keeps you alive in the two weeks or so before you make anti antibodies against infecting pathogens. So knowing that this is how peptides work, we wanted to come up with um, interesting peptides that we could find in nature that we could then maybe develop into a potential therapeutic either to be used alone or in conjunction with antibiotics to try and treat this uh, very important emerging problem of uh, multidrug resistant bacteria. We were interested in tapping into that diversity of uh, peptides that are produced in, by animals in nature to defend against infection and have evolved over hundreds of millions of years. And so you have this huge diversity of molecules that have evolved selectively to help defend against infection. Our idea was, can we find these peptides that um, can either provide new models and new templates for drugs, help guide us insights into new ways of combating against infection? So yeah, can you define a peptide and, and then talk about how peptides are used in maybe our immune systems or the immune systems of, of other creatures? Do they partner with T cells, for instance, to achieve immunity? Or I guess define them and talk a little bit about their role, if you would. So yeah. pe peptides are small chains of amino acids, typically around between 30 and 50 amino acids, and they are made by our bodies. Uh, antimicrobial peptides are made by our bodies, um, like neutrophils make them, skin cells make them, um, to defend against a variety of bacterial, fungal, and viral invaders. Um, they can also activate the host immune system in response to these pathogens. So this is a natural part of our system. Um, they can, antimicrobial peptides can also recruit other white blood cells to come um, if they detect uh, pathogens, for example. So it's a natural part of our immune system, and we, uh, but, um, but through our studies and others, of course, to understand the mechanism by which these peptides kill bacteria, we hope to uh, use this knowledge to develop a new and better uh, possible therapeutics. So we could either make a better peptide or we could identify a target of peptides as a druggable target, for example. Fascinating thing with the peptides really is that they um, they appear to function both through potentially directly targeting the pathogen as well as interface with the host um, immune response, uh, 
regenerative um, properties, modulating inflammation. They get, different peptides can show different properties. That's part of the, as I mentioned, the diversity of molecules. Even we have a diversity of molecules that we produce uh, in this in the category of antimicrobial peptides. I am a human. So um, and many of them are showing bacterial, antiviral, antifungal. Some show antiparasitic. Still others have even shown anti-cancer activity uh, in the laboratory. So they show huge diversity of functions, all basically factoring into defending against infection, defending the host. Okay, so what mechanism, what's the mechanism of their action? I know like white blood cells, let's say they engulf certain foreign bodies and try to digest them. Um, do the peptides bond to structures on the surface of bacteria and tag them, the immune system to go after them? Or do they, uh, are they taken inside the bacteria and then they cause trouble in there? They destroy the nucleus or, I mean, what's the mechanism of action that, you know, do we know how they affect uh, bacteria and funguses? Yes. So for many of the peptides that Barney and I have studied, these um, peptides can bind to some of the molecules on the surface of the bacteria, and then those peptides attack the membrane of the bacteria, and several peptides will get together and form a pore in the membrane of the bacteria. And when they make a hole in the bacterial membrane, the bacteria will die. So in that case, it's a bactericidal or bacterial killing activity of this peptide. And several peptides have been shown, to, in addition to having the, the targeting membranes, have been shown to have different specific targets to hit as well. Um, on top of that, they'll hit host cell receptors or stimulate host cell response. As when you said, chemotactic activity, um, stimulating um, the recruitment of macrophages um, to sites of infection. Yeah, what, what do you think is going on? What's the uh, bacterial analysis of the peptide? Does it mindlessly bind to it? Does it bind to it because it perceives it as a food source? I mean, and uh, why would it make a hole in the membrane? What, what do you think, think is happening there to cause this? So the uh, membrane structure of bacterial membranes is quite different than the membrane structure of eukaryotic or human cell membranes, for example. So human cells have cholesterol, and bacterial cell membranes do not have cholesterol. And um, that plus other molecules leads to a net negative charge on the surface of the bacterial membrane, which is different than the sort of overall charge and affinity on the human cells. And so these peptides have an affinity. These peptides are positively charged, and they have an affinity for the negatively charged bacterial membrane. So they're sort of drawn towards the cell surface of the bacteria, which tends to be net negative and then they can attack the membrane. So is that what, uh, what's the distinction between gram-negative and gram-positive bacteria? Is that it, the overall charge of the membrane? Um, no, gram-positive and gram-negatives are both negatively charged on net, but a gram-negative bacteria has an extra layer around it, so it has an extra cell wall, so it's um, considered to be even more sort of difficult to kill. Um, with these types of um, approaches than the gram-positives, which only has a, a, a cell wall and a membrane. And gram-negative bacteria have two membranes with a cell wall in between. Okay. So where are you uh, at with your study of the Komodo dragon peptides? Have you been able to isolate them and put them into, what, a mouse model? Or you know, how are you right. testing to see their efficacy? First off, I, I, right off the bat, we got to get it clear. We analyze very small samples. We've developed a platform for analyzing um, biological samples that allows us to detect things at very low abundance um, using very small sample sizes. So we're using like 100 microns of plasma. The peptides we found from Twitter Dragon came from an analysis of 100 microns of plasma. 
That's roughly the volume of your pencil tip if you look at it. And um, therefore, we only analyze, we take, put the blood from the dragon once, we analyze the plasma, and then we get the sequences of the peptides that are in there. Once we have that, those sequences are the blueprints for chemically synthesizing the peptide. And so once we have those sequences, we identify which ones are probably antimicrobial, we can then chemically synthesize them and test them. So we don't have to keep going back to the dragon and getting more blood and, and collecting peptide. We, once we identify the pep peptide, we can chemically synthesize it. And so once we chemically synthesize it, then yes, we go through and we test it against a panel of bacteria, um, it, it, testing various activities of it, various functions of, um, of the bacteria, as well as we have started analyzing some of these peptides for their host cell activity as well. Okay, so you're at the stage where you're doing the analysis still, or have you uh, isolated certain peptides and are now trying them, in a, you know, at least in a petri dish or in a mouse model, let's say? Sure. So we surveyed um, several dozens or a hundred peptides from the Komodo dragon, and we tested them against a variety of bacteria, as Barney said. We, we found a peptide called Dragon 1, um, which is a slightly synthetic variant of a natural peptide. So we, we, the natural Komodo dragon peptide, we tweaked it just a little bit for stability, and then that's what we call Dragon 1. So that Dragon 1 peptide, we tested against um, two bacteria that are commonly found in wound infections. So, for example, in diabetics, they ha often have infected wounds or in chronic pressure ulcers or in blast wounds or um, in other kinds of wounds. These two bacteria are called Pseudomonas and Staphylococcus aureus. And so we tested the Dragon 1 and we found that it was um, antibacterial against both Pseudomonas and Staphylococcus. We also then showed that it was active against the biofilm. So these bacteria, when they're in wounds, they make a slimy matrix that sort of protects them from uh, white blood cells and antibiotics and also sticks them pretty strongly into the wound, and that's called biofilm. And so Dragon 1 is also able to be anti-biofilm. And then the third amazing thing that we found was that Dragon 1 also helped promote wound healing in the mouse model. So it made the wound heal close faster, as well as clearing the bacteria and the biofilm from the wound. And that, that wound healing is actually through a function on the, the animal cells, not the bacteria. So in this case, it was a mouse wound. It's stimulating the mouse wound closure. So it Excited wound healing in both the infected wound model and an uninfected wound model. This Komodo dragon peptide did these three different things. It was antibacterial, antibiofilm, and promoted wound healing. This was a, and this was a relatively small <laughs> peptide, too, which was quite fascinating that we found this very small peptide that showed this diverse activity. Okay. Um, I would think that in the Komodo dragon or any other creature, or any other reptile, let's say, uh, they would probably use a cocktail of peptides that would work together, maybe to accomplish different functions and, you know, uh, get rid of a bacteria. I don't, do you think that's going to be likely, or is it likely that just one isolated one will do a better uh, job than multiple? You're probably, I mean, in our opinion, that's what we're thinking as well, in that there's a diversity of peptides that are produced to advance an infection. I think that's a generally uh, consensus in the field, that these peptides, um, you don't just produce one peptide defensive infection. They're producing an ensemble of them. Um, whether they operate synergistically or independently, uh, in many cases, it remains to be seen. Um, however, that's the scenario. The animals produce a wide range of peptides. When we analyzed the Komodo dragon, in our initial analysis, we identified over 40 peptides or potentially antimicrobial 
that were unlike anything that had been seen before. Uh, that, um, that, that was that one sample. One of those ultimately led to Dragon 1. Okay. So um, what would be the next step for you? If Dragon 1 appears to be working, do you want to test it and see as many, you know, how many different uh, bacteria it affects? Or are there particular ones you want to focus on, like the, you know, the uh, Staphylococcus aureus, the Pseudomonas? I mean, what's your, um, what's your path from here? Yeah, that's a great question. So we're going to take uh, Dragon 1 plus some of the other peptides that we've discovered in the alligator and that we have designed uh, in our lab. Um, sort of inspired by some of these peptides. And we're going to test them against the multi-drug resistant bacteria that we talked about before. So um, the multi-drug resistance is a huge and emerging problem in medicine right now. And um, the third thing we're going to do is take our peptides, the Dragon 1 peptides, the crocodile peptides, and some of the other peptides and test them against um, dangerous bacteria that might have been weaponized, like anthrax or tularemia, for example, because these are also very dangerous bacteria. So we're going to focus on dangerous and multi-drug resistant bacteria going forward. And we should say um, that's part of the reason why this work was supported by the Defense Threat Reduction Agency to allow us to test our new peptides that we discovered against these dangerous um, bacteria, both um, bacteria that might have been developed into biological weapons and also these multi-drug resistant bacteria, which are a threat not only to the civilian population, but also to our war fighters. Definitely, yeah. So uh, I know you probably said this right at the beginning. So this is coming from the Komodo dragon's blood or its saliva? A blood. It's awfully hard to collect Komodo dragon's saliva, so we chose to collect blood and look for peptides in the blood instead. Yeah, I would think saliva would be, um, you know, that's when the Komodo dragon, you know, when it's eating something, let's say it's eating some rotting corpse or whatever. I would think its saliva would be developed in a very different way, and that would be more outward-looking, if you can call it that, to you know third-party pathogens or pathogens that aren't native to the dragon. I would just guess that you would get the most effective uh, bacterial-fighting stuff in the saliva. Well, it's, it's potential. The, the thing is, a lot of these peptides are produced in response to stimulation, and the animal, were, which in this case would be the stimulation, would be eating that infected you know food. Uh, we're getting our, our samples from a zoo, um, and therefore, they're not feeding it like infected food. Yeah, that, those Komodo dragons in the zoo are very well cared for, and they get very clean food. <laughs> um, so that's great for the Komodo dragon, but it's probably um, less like the real situation than, than we would like, as you were saying. That's a good question. But I mean, just like we salivate and, you know, whatever we're going to eat, um, I don't know. You might still get, uh, you know, most of the response you're looking for, even if it's eating, you know, I don't know, a prepared steak instead of, uh, you know, like a rotting something else. You know, I would think the Komodo dragon would still respond similarly. You know, it just might be something to try. I don't know if it's, again, like you said, it's hard to get the saliva from them, but maybe they, uh, you know, you give them like a chew toy or something and get their saliva and see what it does, you know, if that's possible. That's a great. It's a great suggestion, and we'd really love to do more with the Komodos. And we really, of course, would love to work with the saliva if we could get our hands on those samples. Absolutely. Yeah, and also to the um, what about the microbiome of the uh, Komodo dragon? Have you looked in the blood? You know, in addition to just isolating the peptides, what if in order for the peptides to work, you know, maybe the microbiome of the blood of the Komodo dragon has a big influence? It's native bacteria that have maybe learned to coexist with these peptides or use them in, you know, in the battle to fight off other stuff. Maybe that's yeah. important. 
Yeah, so induction of response is definitely um, a feature of some antimicrobial peptides, and it's a very important question. However, it's a question we cannot really address in the Komodo dragon uh, because this is an endangered species. It's not really a research um, animal. So, um, you know, we really are concerned with protecting this species and, and allowing it to continue. So uh, we are not able to do those kinds of things with the Komodo dragon. However, we can do uh, those kinds of experiments with uh, cultured cells, for example. We can grow cells in the lab, but we can challenge the cells with bacterial products, and we could do uh, such an experiment in the mouse, for example, and try to induce antimicrobial peptide expression either in cultured cells or in a mouse model. And then, and certainly that's in our plans, and other people have also um, done these kind of induction experiments. And they found the microbiomes of the animals in the zoo, the dragons in the zoo, um, appear to be different from the, what's been reported in the mouths of dragons in the wild. Um, as I said, mentioned, the diet is significantly different. Um, also, there's not the same environmental challenges. Um, so, yeah, while you're, while you're right, the micro, it would be very interesting to see the microbiome in the wild animals um, and their immune response. Uh, at the moment, we don't have access to that. Yeah, the reason why I asked you about the saliva is I, th I thought I remember seeing a show, you know, on some nature channel years ago where they said the bite of the Komodo dragon and saliva was either poisonous or paralyzing or something. So I figured there's got to be some really interesting stuff in there if you can get it. The, the lethality of the bite of the Komodo dragon is some is um, of some discussion these days. They also found that dragons produce venom. Uh, and so... They might produce venom. Well, they, found, they found the venom glands. Yeah. But so... Um, okay. I generally avoid saying anything conclusive about how they kill. I mean, you're basically talking about an animal that has a mouthful of steak knives that can... And pathogenic bacteria. ...that can readily eviscerate a jaw structure designed for that. Either you die from the teeth or you die from the bacteria or you die from the venom. It's not good either which way. Mm. Mm. Okay. Huh. And then just a couple more questions. Um, have you compared the blood overall of, let's say, an alligator? versus the Komodo dragon, you know, both in captivity. Have you looked at the differences in both and, you know, what any interesting things there or, again, in the, the variation of peptides amongst the two? We've, um, we've looked at the, some of the peptides. There are some commonalities. Um, the dragon was definitely different from what we saw from the, from the gator, but the, um, these are two species that are separated by um, over 100 million years of evolution. And so it's, it's, it's not surprising you see differences. But we did find some very interesting peptides in the American alligator. Um, for example, the castellocidin type peptide from the American alligator killed multidrug resistant bacteria, especially gram negative multidrug resistant bacteria. So we were able to find these really active and important peptides from the American alligator as well. Hmm, interesting. Okay, well, I guess, you know, a lot of speculation on my part, but I don't know. That's why I'm asking. So. You're asking, you know, you're asking um, very good questions, very in, in, intriguing questions. I mean, it's um, the stuff we think about every, almost every day is about these kinds of questions. Yeah, do you, do you think one of the reasons why, um, you know, an alligator and a Komodo dragon may be very good at fighting what we're resistant to in terms of bacteria? Because, like you said, you know, they, they're so divergent evolutionarily. Uh, maybe the same bacteria that have been attacking us for a long time don't attack them. They just are in a completely different environment with a different microbiome and different immunity. Maybe I guess the key is to look for creatures that are so different that they may produce substances that our bacteria would have no clue. You know, they essentially come out of left field and be able to kill them because uh, 
they haven't developed any resistance to them or any immunity because they're so foreign to them. That's kind of what we're hoping. That's one reason we look to nature and analyze what's being produced by different organisms to see if we can find those kinds of mechanisms and those strategies and molecules that we can use that way that can benefit people uh, in treating infected infections. Certainly, one of the reasons that we looked at the Komodo dragon and the alligator is because they are evolutionarily ancient animals and they have been apex predators and very successful on the planet for millions and millions of years. And so we hoped that we would find interesting antimicrobial peptides in their blood and that we could use those as a platform to build new synthetic peptides uh, to treat some of these uh, multi-drug resistant infections that are plaguing us today. Well, why not something more innocuous like a turtle or a, you know, a rabbit yeah. or something? <laughs> why a Komodo dragon or an alligator? Turtles are also ancient, and turtles also have very interesting peptides uh, in their um, genomes. Uh, rabbits have uh, been studied, and they are they are quite a bit closer to us than than the reptiles. Um, so uh, they have sort of similar peptides to what we have in the human system. But we would also like to to continue to study less dramatic animals, and also we would like to also continue to study uh, the human peptidome, uh, even though the genome of the human has been uh, explored. Um, the proteins that are made from those genes haven't been fully explored, and so that's called the peptidome, the, the peptides that are made from the human genome. And so we also would like to explore the human peptidome further to see what's the full range and diversity of um, potentially antimicrobial peptides that could be found in the human serum. So the, the, the um, technology that we've been using to analyze the um, alligator, the reptile plasma, can be easily ap applied similarly to um, other biofluids, you know, the saliva, as you suggested, but also blood from any number of species. And, the, and the, one of the things we really aim for, especially going into things like gators and Komodo dragons, where we really don't know a lot going in, is that we try to design a process that allows us to analyze directly the um, intact native peptides as they occur in the sample um, as closely as possible. So that, say for the human, we may be able to identify new things or variants on things that are known that may have different properties. And that also, makes sense. Yeah, and for these rare species and endangered species, one of the big benefits of our approach is that such a small um, blood sample, like a single blood draw, can lead to these important studies and results. Um, whereas if you had to do straight up uh, chemical purification of peptides, you would need liters and liters of blood, but we only need a small couple tablespoons in order to do our analysis. And so that means that we're able to study species that would not be able to be studied by more traditional protein purification methods. Are you thinking... Uh maybe taking the uh, the assay method that you developed and, uh, you know, licensing it out or, you know, allowing other scientists to use it so that they can do assays with, with more limited material? It's not just the assay part. It's the, so what we have is that we've developed a, um, a, a method for uh, a process for preferentially enriching and analyzing the low abundance um, peptides and proteins that are in the sample that have, physical properties similar to what we're interested in. Um, and we have a, a workflow that goes from the capture, analysis, discovery, and then testing. Um, however, we do welcome collaborators. Since the start of this project, we have initiated collaborations with other groups to study other species as well um, using this technology. Um, 
and we're not a, we're 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 looking for collaborators. Okay. Well, very good. Well, what um what's your goal for the next few years? What would you love to be able to figure out or have happen? I would like so this is Monique. So I would like to, my goal for the next couple of years would be to discover some more antimicrobial peptides that are very effective against multi-drug resistant gram negative bacteria. These are the toughest of the tough bacteria. These are very hard to kill, and there are very few um, drugs in the drug development pipeline that are focused on these multi-drug resistant gram negative bacteria. So this is a very big technological challenge for us. It's very difficult to kill these bacteria, but I'm really excited to screen our, our current library and our, the peptides that we are designing now to test for their activity against these multi-drug resistant or dangerous gram-negative bacteria. And me, my lab and I, we're interested really in expanding the number of species you suggested, further studying species you've already looked at, because one of the things we've noticed in, in our studies we've published so far is that the complexity was out there is much higher than we originally anticipated, and it appears to be much richer. And so we're interested in getting better and getting deeper analyses of the, some of the species we've already studied, including Komodo dragon. We're also interested in improving and refining our t discovery process to help us um, better identify these low abundant species, but also to go beyond um, bacteria and look at other um, potential pathogenic targets such as viruses and things of that ilk. And so that's where we're really looking right now is to refine and expand our discovery platform. We're looking for collaborators to do it. All right. And what's the best way for um, for listeners to get in touch, you know, for collaboration questions, to read papers, et cetera? Yeah. So we have a website. Uh, it's adr.gmu.edu. So uh, we welcome anybody or you can they can search our names on the George Mason University website and reach us by email, but adr.gmu.edu will take you to our website, and it has descriptions of our bioprospector process that Barney described, links to our papers that we've talked about today, and email information and how to contact us. It also has two um, links for two uh, TEDx talks that we've done related to this research as well. Oh, nice. Okay, that's great. Any pictures of Kibotos there, or you, uh, you with a Kibotos? Any selfies yes. or anything? <laughs> yes, and that, in fact, there are pictures of Komodos and pictures of me in a Komodo and picture of Barney in a huge, huge alligator. That's great. That's great. Okay. Well, very yeah, good. We, well, I, I appreciate you guys coming. All right. No yeah. problem. Thank, thank you for having us. Thank you so much. You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials, or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription, or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, 
or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you.